Welcome everybody to our podcast. This is a podcast on reflections on leadership, thinking about equality and inclusion. Uh, my name is Jenny Harvey. I work within the Equality, Diversity and Inclusion team. And I'm pleased to welcome Danny Hames, Head of Inclusion, and Taj Singh, Head of Operations for Inclusion. Well, just for a start, could you just give us a bit about your background? Danny, do you want to start? Yeah, absolutely. Right, I think the first thing I'll do is just um, be um, give some clarity about, about inclusion and my job role, because I can think in terms of this topic, it would be quite confusing. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm Head of Inclusion, and um, by inclusion, inclusion is the name of the division within the trust, which provides drug and alcohol services in the community and prisons. Um, mental health services within prisons, IAP services and recovery college and sexual health services, and that's across England. So um, the, 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 the term inclusion is actually encompasses all the delivery of those services and, and all the activity we do in and around that. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to be um, the head of that part of MPFT. So hopefully that makes a bit more sense now. Yeah, and that's really helpful, Danny, because we talk sometimes talk about equality and inclusion in terms of equality and diversity. So people may, might hear that term within the trust and in other contexts. So, yeah, that's really helpful. So uh, you're talking, this is about the service that you uh, that you are head of, yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And yes, it, it can cause confusion, particularly when you're um, working in other areas and you you uh, have to have that job title. The point of the discussion today, and um, really has come as a result of discussions Taj and I have, have had in, in various meetings about our experiences of, of leadership. So, but I'll let Taj speak for himself in a moment and explain what Taj does in his background. But just to give people an insight is, um. My background in a professional sense is I've sort of worked as a administrator, started off as an administrator and have come through various different roles, those acting as a, as a practitioner within drug and alcohol treatment services, um, being a, a team lead and manager within those services. I've, I've worked in the probation service through to being involved in commercial activity around tenders and then sort of development and then to become head of inclusion. So, so my, my background in terms professionally is, is fairly di diverse. But probably more importantly, my, my background is, is um, my um, dad um, was sort of brought up in, in Reading, very working class family, sort of, I suppose, what people may traditionally see as be a, a solid sort of working class family, sort of, um, sort of manual work, that type of thing. Um, and my mum, was actually uh, uh, an immigrant from Ireland. So in the, in the early 60s, my mum came over with her 12 brothers and sisters and her mum and lived in two caravans in Reading uh, in the early 60s, which, you know, from listening to my mum and that experience was really quite challenging and quite difficult. Um, and so that's always, I think, in terms of my sort of me and who I am gave me a, an insight into sort of understanding difference and um, the challenges that come around with that and how people can unconsciously and consciously sometimes discriminate and, and that type of thing. So I, I sort of have a real affinity with that. And I think that's shaped in part who I am, but probably also really significantly is I was brought up in social housing, um, you know, a council house. My I was in a single parent family. My mum, you know, experienced some really serious sort of issues with alcoholism when I was, was mm -hmm. younger. And I was sort of, a, in essence, a young carer from quite a young age. Fortunately, she's, she's you know, 
been um, not you're not used alcohol for for many years now. But um, you know, all of this stuff shaped me, and it's sort of uh, you know, it, it's it's weird because now I'm quite lucky in my role that I go and I work in sort of national circles with quite you know senior people, and I'm often struck by how I'm normally the only person or one of the few people with my experience and backgrounds I have and quite often the only person who clearly hasn't been to private school. I'm aware sometimes yeah. there's assumptions and stereotypes, but it's striking. And, um, you know, so I think that's who I am, and that gives you an insight to my experiences and background. But I'll, I'll hand over to Taj. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Taj? Hi, everyone. Just... Yeah, a bit about my background. Um, so, yeah, I've originally sort of studied in Manchester, uh, studying psychology. So, again, sorry, in terms of my academic background, I'd start off with. Got my first opportunity in the prisons as an assistant psychologist, funny enough, uh, HMP Blakeness, which is now Hill. I was fortunate to go on a trainee uh, forensic psychology programme as well. So, yes, yeah, so I've had sort of forensic influence at an early stage and then sort of went into uh, programmes and offending behavioural programmes whereby I was a manager within the prison service, both at HMP Blakeness, HMP Gloucester, and then sort of moved and transitioned into community drug teams. So again, working as a community drug team manager in Birmingham. And then from there, I went, I was fortunate to move to forensics, uh, working in the Habitat Centre, and then as a regional lead covering various sites, both mainly sort of south central regions, which included Reading, Samwell, Birmingham Prison, Buckinghamshire service and also Bucks cluster prisons as well and then obviously sort of moving on to the heads of operation role. Also in my background um, I cast myself as a second generation British Asian. Both my parents are, were uh, born in India, both uh, first generation. Some of the Danny's sort of parents obviously came over sort of in the 1970s and with both of them they started work at an early age. Again my dad was a CNC operator uh, back in India, was a teacher. And again, always sort of um, from the onset, they always wanted the best for myself. And again, sort of high expectations and the benchmark was raised. Typical Asian family where they want their children to be a doctor and a bar break the norm, obviously sort of studying psychology. So again, so that, and I class myself as a second generation British Asian. And I've worked in the health and social care field for approximately 18 years. Yeah, and I'm here today again, sort of just to have those conversations, encouraging my colleagues to have those sort of pro-social conversations, understanding the differences and the backgrounds uh, of colleagues. And again, like, I'm not suggesting that we're looking for some kind of guide or policy here, but it's just about obviously making those improvements, again, making those sort of effective changes as well and pragmatically as well. And it's, yeah, Taj, I think it's... Um... I suppose the, the, the thing to say, because I've realised this is a podcast and you can't see me, you know, it's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of a, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged white guy who wears glasses and is balding and has a beard. So, you know, I, I think, um, you know, often I'm on calls and there's lots of us who look the same. And, you know, I, I think what Taj and I, or I have found, and I'm, I think discussion with Taj, we, we probably share this, is we've had you know, as you do in any service, but situations within inclusion, which is a is a fairly big operation, you know, we've got 850 staff, you know, across England, you know, um, questions and challenges and, 
scenarios around people's experience of inclusivity come have come up and you know some serious some not so um but i think some of our observations without going into detail of specific circumstances has been probably a, a fear or a reticence about having curious conversations about people's difference and experience and backgrounds and i think we've by virtue of that have really done that as two people working very closely together yeah i'm, I'm really interested in that that danny and Taj. from the first time i met you in, in a meeting you had this um really interesting close working relationship i wonder how's how did that how's that developed over time it's a reminiscent of sort of birmingham really i thought that where we first met i think it was obviously oh, yeah. a ready tender writer <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Why, again it was those sort of curious conversations jenny as well so it was obviously understanding the role understanding sort of the so the nuances is in in terms of sort of the geography in birmingham and particularly around sort of uh the diversity of our groups that we serve and our patients and the service users again i'm very curious about the service i deliver in terms of obviously so yeah we quite easily talk about service specifications but i think what we talked about initially on our first sort of conversation when we sort of our paths crossed danny was it was all that sort of how we make a service for everyone not just one specific cohort of individuals if you recall so again it was just that again it, we i think we sort of struck a chord then really it was that sort of curious nature of that conversation i think that's a really good point um because actually i think what struck me is something that really drives me and i know drives Taj, is the fact that i think we feel a real responsibility to do the utmost we can to serve the populations who we are asked to as well as best we can and that means serving everybody and and that's 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 challenging but i, I think in a way and this this is maybe a useful insight which has probably just come to me is i think because we shared certain values around the importance of trying to do what we can to influence inclusivity to influence good quality to be honest transparent open when you need to be it provided us with a good footing for then our i think ever developing relationship and bearing in mind what birmingham how long ago was that Taj? so we're talking to 2008 danny so again <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's, it's a long been a long time in in the in the making but i i think um what's been what's been particularly beneficial is probably over the last couple of years when Taj did sort of well actually Taj and I moved into the head of inclusion role and Taj into the head of operations role at fairly similar times and I think by my own omission moving into that role and sort of thinking right I now have responsibility for this in the entirety of this division which does deliver services but we also have this, you know quite significant commercial profile marketing profile we work nationally you know was like wow oh my life and you know Taj moved into the head of ops role which is is a huge role and I don't know about you Taj but sometimes I thought I feel possibly a little young for this this <laughs> is <just> slightly <laughs> terrifying um but through that I, I think We've, we've had to forge a, an ever stronger relationship, but that's allowed us to talk about who we are and mm. differences mm. and yeah, you know, it, but yeah, values, I think is what yeah. underpins it and probably allows us to trust. So um, though you, though both maybe your class and race are very different backgrounds, could I say that it's the values that 
um, you found uh, of a common that, that belonging between each each other. Yeah, it's the values that you bonded over. And, and Jenny, yeah, and Dalia, I think you, you've touched on the point there. It's about that sort of honesty. That's good leadership, isn't it? Being honest, being genuine, and also sometimes, you know, being open and transparent if you don't know something. Obviously, just showing some of those gaps in terms of your understanding and being curious. And again, that way, I think, like I said, for me, you're being inclusive. You're trying to sort of understand and realise the benefits for everyone. So, would you would you would you advise you know other uh, what well, other our colleagues in the trust and other leaders to be more curious about each other is that because sometimes do, do you think sometimes as staff members we don't want to pry into people's we feel it's maybe i don't know a bit reserved about asking questions um i i think you know yes i i think it, in my experience is is the sort of curious you know safe but openness and authenticity generally create good things and I, I think it, we, we do have to be slightly careful because I think that within that people everyone's different and yes. people have to be feel safe about what they disclose or, or what, what they what they do but um, I, I think it's really important that we do as an organization um, and a really important part of doing that is leaders modeling this is is work towards a place where if if someone is of a different heritage to you you feel able to respectfully but curiously ask about you know things that maybe you don't understand you know yeah. so you know I, I there's one thing that really sticks with me from sort of when I worked in Southampton where there was a a, a fairly significant um Muslim population and we did we did some training uh, about it and um one of the things I learned which I, I probably hadn't really appreciated was to to use drugs or to use alcohol was a do in essence a direct insult to to God learning that for me as a you know white white British person who who didn't you know know a huge amount about Islam was really really striking and and it sort of i suppose now i sort of fast forward sort of 10 15 years we create better services and better outcomes for people when we really feel confident about understanding the populations we serve you know people aren't hard to reach they're seldom heard from and actually it's our job to listen better but that should start with you know our colleagues and, and who yeah. we work with and that's the, i think that's the relationship i've got with Taj. you know i i absolutely i'm perfectly happy going to touch you know what i don't understand this you know what do you think do you know and sometimes Taj will go i've no idea <laughs> <laughs> but you know there are certain things Taj has an insight to i don't i think Danny, you've touched on a really key point there it's like leaning on those experts within your teams and learning from them mm. and then Type tying in with that for me is that taking that time to listen so staff feel appreciated that actually my manager is they're being sort of genuine they're sort of being curious and again they're putting stuff out there as well I think in holding those sort of open honest and again I sort of use the uh, word phrase sorry pro-social conversations with your staff I think the example I want to give um, guys is obviously I think I was fortunate enough to join the Trust of Quality Diversity Group recently whereby I was infused and sort of listening to how other services are still set up protected time and sessions 
to have these meaningful conversations with one another and their staff. So can you sort of emphasise my earlier point about sort of that being genuine, engaging people, and again, again, touching on that, you know, actually managers are taking the interest. They want to do something for us and want to make things better within the service. So what do you think, um, I mean, you've talked a lot about how, um, how it's helped you individually in, in, in your work. How do you think it's helped uh, the services that your teams provide if, if you model in this um, open and inclusive um, leadership? Have, have you seen any benefits yet? Or is it? Is it, I mean, maybe a difficult question, but... It's, it is a difficult question because, you know, a large, a large portion of, I suppose, the time Taj and I have been responsible for inclusion has been been COVID. And that's that mm. has been significant um, in terms of our ability to be visible and particularly in certain areas where, you know, online access isn't easy. So that that's that's uh, that has not that's been a barrier in some instances. And I think we do need to acknowledge that. I, I think generally, I think inclusion, I think, has been fairly open and tries to facilitate that. But inclusion has changed a lot over the last few years. You know, we've we've grown a lot. The services we provide has changed. I think the benefits that we're starting to see is, firstly, I think a much, an increasingly much more active an open debate about how how do we move forward in terms of equality and diversity within mm. inclusion as as a as a as a sort of subset of the trust and in 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 collaboration with the trust and how do we take steps to try and address any deficits with the services we provide in terms of the communities we serve so I'll give a really good example of that um, which is very current is. In inclusion is the the chair and the secretariat of the NHS Addiction Provider Alliance, which um, is a collaboration of 16 NHS trusts who provide addiction services across England. And mm -hmm. we ran a conference about stigma and the impact mm -hmm. on policy and practice and people for people affected by addictions last Wednesday. It was a big online conference. It was, you know, it was, it was a really, really good, good day, big, big affair. But we had, for instance, uh, a speaker from an organisation called Backin, a guy called Sohan Sahota, who leads a BAME peer-led live-by-experience organisation around addictions. And because we've been increasingly having these discussions internally and sort of turning the mirror on ourselves, we've, and the conference as well, and some of the things he's talking about and saying about how not many, many organ many services in the addiction sector are falling short in terms of treating people from a BAME background or accessing them. It's really prompted us to go, all right, we want to work with you more closely. How can you help us improve what we do? And we're real we're willing to really open ourselves up to scrutiny and challenge. You know, I think that will have really direct benefits. You know, we we've got colleagues within services who are really keen to um look at setting up an LGBTQ network across inclusion you know for example and this is where covid has been helpful because actually that's probably much more possible because of teams we i think we are starting to see shifts and changes and much more of a conscious focus i i, I think danny i think that's what you're touching on what you're discussing is obviously some of our plans and our sort of support to have that in place to to have those sort of uh, conversations being flexible being culturally sensitive and i think for me, it's about supporting those staff that have that interest and 
you know, having those sort of leads within within those forums and getting power in that stack as well. I think for us, it's about being sort of culturally sensitive uh, and aware of all those sort of differences, which considers everyone sort of needs a staff as they all are individual. And again, the key, like I keep on touching on, sorry, is that everyone is supported around this. I think in my experiences is that I think individuals are scared to talk about and they even sort of break down assumptions or preconceptions, even prejudices. So again, I think we need to further build on that, on a culture and obviously challenge that culture. Um, yeah. and again, we need to have that confidence as well, sorry, to have those conversations um, openly. So why do you think um, staff or people are sometimes scared or worried about having conversations or asking questions? Uh, uh, it's something I know about as a transgendered woman that sometimes people are very unsure about broaching subjects with me. And why, why do you think that is? Is it for fear of offending or is it um, is it just not understanding? Why do you think people are, 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 are not engaging in that way? Yeah, I, I think you're right. It is potentially a fear of offending and we are working in the NHS in a, a fear of a, a formal potentials sanction maybe you know if you know if, if it's interpreted in the wrong way so again it's about how it's shaped and sort of discussed isn't it and particularly sort of like i said in a safe environment in a pro-social yes yeah. uh, people don't want to be labeled a bigot you know and, and and i think i think that's a genuine fear for some people you know people don't want to say the wrong thing i'm not sure there's always there feels like there's that safety to have debates which are nuanced and sometimes there might be disagreement as well and also and i do think people sometimes are concerned well it's easier not to say anything or not to ask any question because if i do people may make assumptions about me and you know sometimes those that's pretty fair sometimes those assumptions might be might be right but you know and it but it, it's it's how we create safe spaces to allow that discourse and debate and not allow it to polarize I don't know how can you give the same quality of service to somebody that you're not engaging with at the same at the same levels you might somebody else if you're you know if there's that distance between you and the service user is is that how I'm putting it because you you worry about getting things wrong or just um, haven't been curious enough um, how do we then give the same quality of service to to all our and what you've said from your services you know that people from different um, communities have higher levels of addiction and um you know have more challenges so how are we going to to improve those if we can't break through and have those conversations absolutely i, I think some of it really is about education it's about there is about it's about information yeah. not education so much information is about mm. understanding it's about creating spaces where people can have debate and gain insight into different people's experiences i think it's accepting that within obviously the boundaries of what's what's acceptable and right and you know legal yes. people can can disagree i think that's the only way we do this going forward but it, it's um it's got to be it, you need those safe spaces for that to happen and i, I think that's in a mean charge have got a, a micro example of that actually we have a safe space where i think we can have those conversations and the, the most obvious one is you know sometimes conversations about race but we're able to do that because we know that we've created a safe space for that. And I suppose one yeah. of the reasons for doing this is basically, well, how do we do that more broadly? But it's such a big 
question because there's what we do as services, but it's also how do we do we see our role as individuals, but also as you know divisions, directorates, and as an organisation about how we influence and advocate for change in terms of how all, how commissioning is organised and how policy is decided, because some of these disadvantages, some of these sort of exclusions are a result of how things are constructed and how they're funded. When you when you do look at the impact of stigma, and actually I would go as far as say prejudice and discrimination in terms of uh, individuals who are affected by the use of drug and alcohol, the, the system actually disadvantages them. And, you know, and a part of that is because actually those those voices are not that prominent. So there's there's a there's there's what we can do in our own sort of small way, and I think that starts with safe spaces, feeling able to talk, access to bite-sized information that helps us understand, being curious. But then there's that those those greater questions for us about actually as representatives of a public institution and as a public institution, what do we do to to influence change when we see see wrong? I'm not expecting anyone to answer that. <laughs> no, no, I think it's, I guess you, you'd agree, Tash, I guess, you know, no, as, definitely. And again, as looking at what we could do going forward. Yeah, and again, it's all sort of going back to sort of that, sort of the equality impact assessments that are normally attached to specifications. Yeah, it's definitely influencing those, how we're having those strategic conversations with commissioners and well, with NHSE, NHS improvement, maybe being part of a, um, an independent group with expert clinicians on there to sort of discuss or shape policy or influence any sort of guidance uh, to encourage not just our organisation. I think like that's, we're trying to change the world in <laughs> any of it, other organisations yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's been a really interesting conversation. I don't know if you've either of you any final thoughts before we sort of wrap up. I suppose just to be clear, I, you know, I, I think what Taj and I have developed is really positive. And, um, you know, I think that helps helps us moving forward. In terms of inclusion, you know, I, I think we've got, there is a, a lot of work that we, we, we're we going to do and are committed to doing. Um, and I think, but I'm, I'm entirely accepting of, you know, some of it we will get right first time, some of it we won't. It, it's the, it, for me, it's the real start of a, of a journey where we have to persist and keep learning and keep changing. And I suppose for me, I, I just hope if anyone listens to this, it, it's just helpful in terms of prompting a few reflections, but by no means claiming we're, we're the experts who have got it totally right yet. Um, we're trying. It's a, it's a great opportunity for me just again to reset, refocus, reimagine practice without calling out sort of managers in terms of setting themselves objectives to have these conversations, you know, encouraging our staff to lead particularly your bottom-up approaches to increase the awareness, continue to develop improvements, have those conversations within your team, listen, ask individuals, try and be solution-focused, what works? That, that's my sort of final remarks. Thank you. 
Well, thank you. Uh, thank you both of you for, for such an insight into your working relationships and what you're trying to achieve in inclusion. I mean, inc we can't have inclusion if we're not all included, can we? <laughs> no. We can't. And, um, and, and it's really refreshing to hear that uh, this, uh, this working relationship has, is benefiting service and ultimately the people, uh, we, people we care for. So thank you again, Dania and Taj. Thank you for your time. Thank you.